0: Red salute. Welcome to the Manifestering Podcast. If you want to support this project, which allows me more time to produce and release content, you can do so on my website, manifesteringpodcast.com. There's a link to my Patreon, as well as a donation button that allows you to just donate through the site itself. You can also do so on my anchor.fm page. Just search for Manifestering Podcast. Thanks so much for helping me keep revolutionary media alive. Urban Perspective, CPI Maoist Chapter 1, Introduction The Strategy and Tactics document adopted at the 9th Congress of 2001 explains the importance of urban work within the strategy of the Indian Revolution in the following manner. Work in the urban areas has a special importance in our revolutionary work. In our revolution, which follows the line of protracted people's war, the liberation of urban areas will be possible only in the last stage of the revolution. However, this does not mean that there is no need to concentrate on the building of an urban revolutionary movement from the beginning. From the beginning, we will have to concentrate on the organization of the working class, which, being the leadership of our revolution, has to directly participate in and lead the agrarian revolution and the People's War and on building a revolutionary workers' movement. Moreover, on the basis of the Revolutionary Workers' Movement, we will be able to mobilize millions of urban oppressed masses and build struggles against imperialism and feudalism, struggles in the support of the agrarian revolution, and struggles for democratic rights. We will be able to create the subjective forces and conditions required for building a countrywide, broad, anti-imperialist, anti-feudal united front during this course only. The urban movement is one of the main sources, which provides cadres and leadership having various types of capabilities essential for the People's War and for the establishment of liberated areas. We should not forget the dialectical relationship between the development of the urban movement and the development of the People's War. In the absence of a strong revolutionary urban movement, the People's War will face difficulties. However, we should not belittle the importance of the fact that the urban areas are the strong centers of the enemy. Building up of a strong urban revolutionary movement means that our party should build a struggle network capable of waging struggle consistently by sustaining itself until the protracted people's war reaches the stage of strategic offensive. With this long-term perspective, we should develop a secret party, a united front, and people's armed elements, intensify the class struggle in the urban areas, and mobilized the support of millions of urban masses for the People's War. Pages 69 through 70, Strategy and Tactics. However, there have been serious shortcomings and mistakes in our understanding and practice over the last 30 years. The political and organizational review of the 9th Congress thus reviewed as follows. The importance of urban work in the ongoing People's War in the country is well recognized by our party and is elaborated in our strategy and tactics document. However, we have been extremely deficient in perspective, policy and methods of work. We have only made piecemeal changes from time to time to the policy contained in the document our work in urban areas brought out by APSC in 1973. We have yet to develop a comprehensive and long-term approach which takes into account the changing developing trends in urbanization as well as the policies of the enemy to isolate and crush us in the urban areas. This has led to frequent ups and downs in our urban work in most areas and serious loss of cadres in areas of repression. Page 141, POR. Thus, the Congress decided on a time-bound program for preparing policy and guidelines for urban work, particularly working class work. This should include a review of our understanding and practice with regard to revolutionary trade unions, mini guerrilla squads, self-defense squads, and workers' magazines, among other things. This should be followed by a campaign to reorganize our work according to the guidelines. The present document is part of the attempt to implement the above Congress decision. Part 2 gives a brief picture of urban India, presenting the trends in urbanization and the changes in class composition, particularly since the policies of liberalization. Part 3 is the main section which lays out the policy and guidelines for work, our strategic approach and objectives, forms of organization, and forms of struggle, the party, united front, and military tasks, propaganda, tech mechanism, and planning. Part 4 reviews the main shortcomings in our understanding and practice over the past 30 years. Part 5 identifies some immediate tasks. Besides this, a separate document, Guidelines for Our Work in the Working Class, explains details in regards to working class work. Chapter 2, Urban India. According to the census of 2001, 27.8% of India's population now lives in towns and cities. The total urban population is 28.5 crores, which is larger than the total population of the world's third most populated country, the United States. Most of this urban population is situated in large cities. Almost two-thirds stay in cities with a population of over 1 lakh, and 10.8 crores, i.e. 38%, are in 35 metropolitan centers with a population of over 10 lakhs. Three of the world's 20 megacities, with a population over 1 crore each, are from India. The center of the economy has also moved away from the rural areas. In 1950 through 51, 56% of production came from agriculture, but today, less than 25% comes from agriculture. Today, most of the country's production is from the industries and services sector, which are mainly based in the towns and cities. The urban share in the gross domestic product, GDP, is thus now over 60%. India's urban population size, proportion, and economic weight today are much larger than China at the time of the revolution. China then had only about 10% of its production coming from industry and only 11% of the people staying in the urban areas. This would mean that India's urban areas would have to play a relatively more important role in the revolution than the cities played during the Chinese revolution, This, however, does not mean any change in our basic strategy, which is based on the uneven economic and political development and the semi-feudal, semi-colonial character of Indian society. Current international experience also shows various semi-colonial countries with large proportions in urban areas successfully advancing the People's War basing on rural armed struggle. Though our urban population is large and constantly growing, Its proportion is still much lower than the percentage of most other semi-colonial countries with movements seriously engaged in armed agrarian revolution. Thus, the Philippines has 59%, Peru has 73%, and Turkey has 75% urban population. Only Nepal has a lower 12% urban population, though the rate of growth of its urban population is almost double that of India. 2.1, Urbanization Pattern. Since 1947, four major metropolitan cities, which served as regional capitals under the British, have dominated the process of urbanization in the country. These were Kolkata, Mumbai, Delhi, and Chennai, which respectively served as the central hubs of the east, west, north, and south of the country. Since the 60s, they have continued to experience growth, though at different paces. Further, newer metropolitan centers like Bangalore, Hyderabad, and Pune are emerging as new hubs of urban growth. The policies of liberalization are bringing further changes and new patterns of urbanization have been emerging, which are changing the positions and importance of even the old metropolitan centers. Delhi continues to maintain its all India importance, mainly as the administrative capital and also due to the rapid industrialization in its surrounding areas. Mumbai as the financial capital has been continuing to grow rapidly and is now among the five largest cities in the world. Kolkata and Chennai continue to maintain their regional importance, but Kolkata has lost its all India importance as a center of industry and commerce. The ups and downs of these main centers is, however, only a reflection of the country's sharply unequal pattern of urbanization. Kolkata is falling back because of its placement in the poorest and least urbanized eastern part of the country, whereas all the new stars are emerging in the most urbanized south and west. The old hierarchy of the four major cities located in different regions of the country is thus giving way to urban corridors and clusters of new investment located mostly in the southern and western parts of the country. With the exception of the Delhi region and adjacent areas in Haryana, Punjab, Rajasthan, and Uttar Pradesh, much of the north, the east, and the center of the country have been bypassed. This vast area covering the eastern half of UP and stretching across Bihar, West Bengal, the northeastern states, Orissa, Madhya Pradesh, and the eastern part of Maharashtra remain an area of urban backwardness with old industrial bases and high unemployment. These areas are thus the main sources of cheap migrant labor for the large metropolitan cities. The above inequalities are being encouraged by the policies of the government. In the earlier period under industrial licensing, there were some small attempts at bringing about balanced industrial development, And this led to some projects being set up in relatively backward areas, like the Central India Minerals Belt. Now under the liberalization policies, investment is not regulated and goes to the areas promising the greatest profits. Thus, the main investment is centered in and around a few areas of growing urban concentration. The main areas are A. Ahmedabad-Pune Corridor This stretch of western India is the main concentration of high industrialization and urbanization in the country. It includes four of the top ten cities in the country, Mumbai, Ahmedabad, Pune, and Surat, besides two other cities over 10 lakh, Vadodara and Nashik. The industries cover almost all the main industrial groups, engineering, chemicals, textiles, automobiles, telecommunications, electronics, etc. These cities in the adjoining districts attract the largest amount of new investment in the whole country. The working class is the most diverse, having migrated from all parts of the country. B. Delhi Region The capital region together with the adjoining areas of Gurgaon and Faridabad and Haryana and Ghaziabad and NOIDA in UP is a massive urban and industrial zone. It is continuing to advance at a rapid pace in engineering, automobile, electronics, etc. The working class here too is diverse, but mainly from North India. C. Bangalore. This has for some time been a center of many major public sector establishments, besides textiles and silk weaving. Electronics and computer software and hardware are the main growth industries, with Bangalore being the software capital of India. It is a fast-growing center. D. Chennai The greater Chennai region has become the industrial hub for the entire South. It has a very diverse range of industries. Automobiles, textiles, chemicals, petroleum products, electronics, etc. E. Coimbatore, a road belt. This is the area of fastest-growing urbanization in the country. The principal industries are centered around textiles, mills, power looms, knitwear, etc. There are also small and medium engineering units. F. Hyderabad. Though the actual growth is not as much as the media propaganda of the AP chief minister, Hyderabad is also a fast-growing urban center. Besides the earlier public sector undertaking and other industries, the new investments are mainly in electronics and information technology. In AP, Vishaka Patnam has also been a center of growth, attracting big investments. Most urban centers in other areas are not receiving much investment and are therefore experiencing some level of stagnation. They are, however major centers of industry with a large working class they also play a very important role in their regions some of these centers are a Kolkata though it has lost its all India importance it remains the center for the whole of eastern India it has a large and diverse industrial base but no major new area of industrial growth the city too is growing at a slow pace It has gotten new investment, but a large part is for the expansion of existing plants. The working class is diverse, but basically from Eastern India. Due to slow industrial growth, the unemployment rate is relatively higher. B, Industrial Cities of Central India. The investments coming into these areas are mainly for power and fuel and metallurgical industries. However, new projects are relatively few and overall unemployment there is growing. C, cities of the Gangetic Plain. These cities, including old major industrial centers like Kanpur, are not receiving much new investment and are thus stagnating. The cities, however, continue to grow due to influx from the rural areas. The above trend and pattern of urban growth has to be taken into account while drawing up a perspective and plan for urban work. 2.2. Changes in class composition and structure of cities. Besides the changes at the All-India level, there are also significant changes taking place within the cities, particularly the largest cities. This is resulting in changes in the nature and composition of the workforce, as well as the geographical placement of various classes and communities. 2.2.1. Deindustrialization of major cities. Over the years, most major cities have seen a decline in manufacturing activity compared to business activity in banking, finance, and other service sectors. This process started with the largest cities, with the shutdown of many of Kolkata's jute mills and other industries from the late 60s. This process, however, became very generalized from the early 80s with the decline of the textile mills in Mumbai, Ahmedabad, Chennai, and other centers. Lacks of blue-collar jobs were destroyed without the setting up of any new industries within the city. Since the last 20 years, hardly any new industry has been located within the major old cities. New industrialization is normally taking place on the outskirts of the main city or in the nearby towns and cities. This is combined by an increase of white-collar jobs in the field of services, with investment normally going into these areas. This process has led to a change in the class composition of most cities, particularly the metropolitan cities. Aggregate data on urban areas as a whole show a gradual decline in the percentage of male workers engaged in manufacturing, from 27% in 1983 to 23.6% in 1993 through 94. For female workers, the decline was from 26% in 1983 to 23.6% in 1993 through 94. Over the same period, the percentage of male workers engaged in the services sector has increased from 24.8% to 26.4% and the increase for women workers from 31.4% to 38.8%. Here, services have been defined to include finance, insurance and business services, and all other services, including community and social services. This indicates that the overall proportion of the industrial proletariat in urban areas throughout India is falling compared to the employees engaged in offices, marketing establishments, hotels, etc. While the above figures give the overall picture, the actual situation in regards to particular cities will be different. Since this factor is very important for our organizational perspective, plans, and tasks at the city level, all the respective committees should conduct city-level class analysis regarding the situation and trend in their areas. 2.2.2, Changes in the Workforce. With closures of industries and the accompanying loss of jobs, many workers are forced to take up casual work or earn on their own through hawking, pulling rickshaws, running roadside tea stalls, and food joints, etc. At the same time, new youth entering the workforce do not get regular jobs immediately. Unemployment rate is the highest in the 15 to 24 age group, and are forced to take casual employment or also run some small trade. This trend is increasing in recent years in the urban areas. At the same time, more and more women are being employed in jobs but at much lower wage rates. This trend, which started since the early 80s in most cities, has further accelerated since the liberalization policies. The percentage of urban males in regular work has dropped, and the percentage of self-employed and casual laborers has gone up. At the same time, the percentage of women in regular work has gone up, though this does not affect the total size of the working class so much because women compose only 17% of the total urban workforce. This then means a change in the composition of the working people. Firstly, there has been an increase in the proportion of the semi proletariat, i.e., self employed. Secondly, there has been an increase in the proportion of women workers being paid very low wages, and thirdly, there has been an increase in the casual labor force. Besides the above given changes, another change has been the shift of jobs from the larger factories of the organized sector to the small workshops and industries. In recent years, the percentage of workers in the organized sector compared to the total workforce has fallen from 8.5% in 1991 to 7.1% in 1997, and then to 6.9% in 1999 through 2000. As the workers are divided into smaller units, their potential for unionization also reduces. All the above changes in the workforce have been presented here at the all-India level. These changes have significant consequences for our planning at the city and area levels. We should conduct local class analysis and plan accordingly. 2.2.3 Division or Segmentation of Cities Cities and towns in India, based on the colonial pattern, have always had a rich British section and a poor Indian section. This separation, however, was reduced to some extent in the process of growth of the metropolitan cities. Thus it became quite common to have slums adjoining posh high-rise buildings and hawkers and vendors occupying spaces right next to the offices of multinationals in the heart of the central business district. Periodically, drives would be taken up to demolish slums or evict hawkers, but they would most often manage to struggle and maintain their space within the center of the city. In the liberalization-globalization period, however, the ruling classes in most major cities, aspiring to make them, quote, global, unquote, cities, have in a coordinated and planned manner launched numerous measures to push the poor out of the core of the city and preserve it for the economic and social use of imperialist and comprador capital. This process has taken and is taking place in an intensive manner in Mumbai, Delhi, Bangalore, Hyderabad, Kolkata, Chennai, and in some other metropolitan cities. Similar patterns, however... Are seen even in relatively smaller cities. This process of dividing or segmenting the city is done through various measures. These measures extend from the old measures of slum demolition and hawker eviction to new forms like closure of quote polluting unquote factories, banning of protests in central areas, law changes encouraging privatization and localization of urban finance and urban facilities, regulations encouraging concentration of development in the richer zones, etc. The role of the state is most prominent. Bureaucrats and urban planners operating under direct instructions from the World Bank, Asian Development Bank, and other imperialist institutions have formulated laws, regulations, policies, and master plans, which have given up even the earlier pretense of the slogans of equity and alleviating urban poverty. Now the basic thrust of the plans are on quote efficiency unquote and quote clean and green unquote cities, which means basically providing sanitized five-star enclaves with the best infrastructure and communication facilities for the offices, houses, and entertainment facilities of the corporate managers and elites, while pushing the urban poor along with their quote unclean unquote slums and quote polluting unquote industries to the borders of the city the basic thrust of the national capital plan for delhi and the 1993 megacity program for the other five top cities mentioned above basically have this objective the high courts and supreme court aided by anti people so called environmentalists have also played a very active role in this process giving numerous court rulings to speed up this process in the name of quote public interest unquote litigation Numerous struggles of the working class and the urban poor have erupted against these measures. The November 2000 revolt of the Delhi working class and national bourgeoisie, and the struggles of Mumbai slum dwellers and Kolkata hawkers are some examples. However, despite these struggles, the remapping of the megacities and other metropolitan cities is proceeding, and the socio-geographic pattern of cities like Mumbai has already changed considerably. This process has to be dealt with by us at two levels. At one level, we must participate in the mass struggles against the process of eviction and fight for the right of the working class and urban poor to live and work in their old areas. At another level, we must take account for the change pattern of the city in our analysis and planning. As part of our class analysis, we should also map out the geographical locations of the various classes, both residential and workplace. We should take into account in our plans for organization, protest, self-defense, etc. 2.2.4 Ghettoization A ghetto is a slum or locality inhabited mostly or completely by one community. When a particular community is attacked repeatedly and forced, for their safety, to concentrate in particular areas, This process is called ghettoization. Localities formed on the basis of nationality, caste, and religion are very common in almost all Indian towns and cities. However, not all have been formed by a process of ghettoization. Urban mass violence on the basis of nationality has comparatively infrequent examples like the cavalry riots in Bangalore where the Tamil national minority was attacked or the 1967 Mumbai attacks on South Indians by Shiv Sena, national chauvinists. This is to a great extent because of the relative lack of support for such acts from the integrationist all-India ruling classes and the central state machinery. Caste violence and caste riots are more numerous, with some towns and cities repeatedly witnessing attacks on Dalits. Anti-reservation riots in many parts of the country are a constant form of caste attacks. Such upper caste violence has led to the further sharpening the division of many towns and forcing all Dalits to live in separate areas to better organize their self-defense. The main form of violence has, however, been the attacks and organized pogroms by the Hindu communalists and fascists, primarily against the Muslims, but also against the Sikhs and Christians. This has led to the sharp segregation of the Muslim community and the creation of Muslim mahalas in almost all towns and cities where they have any existence. However, with the metropolitanization of some cities, there has been some small shift out of Muslims into other areas. This too was sought to be drastically reversed by the Hindu fascists during the 80s and the 90s. The 80s and 90s have seen the largest number of anti-Muslim pogroms associated with the political ascent of the Hindu fascists of the Sangh Parivar. The major center for this has been the Western Corridor, with massacres of Muslims in almost all the major cities in this belt, Ahmedabad, Vadodara, Mumbai, and Surat, as well as other smaller cities like Bawandi, Melgaon, and Baruch. The major urban centers of the south have also been centers for communal riots Coimbatore, Hyderabad, and Bangalore besides other smaller cities like Mangalore, Bhadravati, etc. Some have taken place in the cities of central India and the Gangetic plain. Most of these attacks have been done with the full connivance and even participation of the state forces. Of all of these, Gujarat is being taken up by the fascists as a laboratory for an experiment in ethnic cleansing, with systematic physical and economic annihilation of the Muslims. As the Hindu fascist campaign spreads in other parts of the country, ghettoization is bound to sharply intensify in most cities. Purely Muslim areas, suspicious of all others, and organized for self-defense, will become essential for the survival of the community. Sharpening of divisions on a communal basis can become a serious barrier to building class unity. Our party in the urban areas has to take the ghettoization process seriously into account in all plans. Sharp ghettoization leads to lack of jobs for Muslims and pushes larger sections of them into the semi-proletariat. Thus, merely organizing within industry will not enable us to enter this oppressed community. Unless we base ourselves in the middle of the ghetto, we will not be able to gain entry into organizing the community. We will not also be able to build a united front against the Hindu fascists. Thus, in our planning, we have to clearly identify the ghettos of a city and draw up our plan for gaining entry into them. While doing this, we need to organize them on their basic needs and day-to-day problems too.